Nicole Burkhardt is a prolific and experienced podcaster, having run the gamut of jobs. Voice actor, audio editor, sound designer, and now writer-creator. Nolan Void put all that knowledge to use and then some, as you'll find out right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hello, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez Collins. Today, join us in our interview with Cole Burkhart, creator of Nolan Void, the fiction podcast we showcased last week. Nolan Void is about corporate capitalism's effect on everything, from the individual to families, from communities to society. Burkhardt has experienced the grind just like us, working soul-sucking jobs that left behind frustration and a fuller understanding of just how corporations pit marginalized people against each other. Human resources is there to protect the company, not the humans they employ. Working conditions that are equitable and humane are few and far between. Corporations will mine you for data and use it to benefit their bottom line, and all while convincing us that we are each individually at fault for not trying hard enough to prevent the evils of this world we share. Burkhardt's story is one of rebellion and found family banding together to protect whatever they and their town have left. It's about humanity and who or what gets to be human, people or corporations. Nolan Void and Radio Drama Revival would like to ask you to donate and support the Trevor Project, a national U.S. organization providing crisis and suicide intervention to LGBTQ plus youth under 25. You can donate to them or become a fundraiser at give.thetrevorproject.com or donate at the link in our episode description. Please be aware that the following interview contains discussions about capitalism and all that it touches, climate change and pollution, racism, and queerphobia. Thank you so much for, for coming on Radio Drama Revival, Cole. We're really excited to get to talk to you about, about Nolan Boyd. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. We we love a good we love a good anti-capitalist show. Um, <laughs> just so that everybody knows where this is going. Uh-huh. Just gonna broadcast it right there. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but to start with, right, you're a very prolific voice actor and sound designer slash audio editor. Sure. Um, yeah, very prolific. <laughs> you honed this these skills across many shows before you started creating and show running Null and Void. So what would you say you learned from those experiences that you implemented in your running of this podcast? Uh, make sure you have everything written before you start casting. Um, make sure that you have <laughs> your shit together before you start casting. <laughs> um, and if something is going to go wrong, it's going to. So give yourself a little wiggle room. Yeah, always give yourself like a room. Such a mm-hmm. such a good just general life advice, honestly. Uh-huh. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I don't have a ton of experiences as a voice actor, but one of the things that I appreciate with the shows that I am voice acting in is that they, they write everything before like, we start yeah. doing I, stuff. <laughs> I have had so many shows fall apart because they write episode by episode. And then they'll um, write themselves into a plot hole or they'll, like, peter out. 
and then just oops sorry can't add that to my resume can't hear can't hear that come to life and it it's as a as a voice actor it's frustrating and i feel also as a creator it is frustrating because like it i don't understand people who who will write an episode and then just want to put it out there without going through just so many editing process. I feel really bad for my editors. We we went through Null and Void like three times to to make sure everything made sense. And for my next show, we went through like half a like maybe a dozen times to make sure everything. But that a little more a little more convoluted. It's a time jump one, but we can get into that mm. later. Um, but like, but just make sure you have all of your eggs in a basket before you start chucking them at people, <laughs> and and just give people time to breathe we don't exist in a vacuum people have lives outside of the internet you can't expect your voice actors to give you like a three-day turnaround time to do stuff if if um like something goes wrong or if something happens and just give people room to breathe and it's gonna make everything a lot easier your story is still gonna be there your audience is still probably gonna be there just Take your time. I know it's always exciting to jump headfirst into something, but... Yeah, absolutely. This is one of the things that I teach my... Um, that I would that I teach people whenever I'm, like, asked to, like, talk about this kind of thing is mm-hmm. that, like, don't jump to the last steps. Yep. You need to start at the beginning and, and go through it. It's kind of... It's kind of how, like, in physics, you know, time, is, there's always a middle point. It doesn't, like, skip. Yeah. I know it feels like it does, but it doesn't. Um, <laughs> and so, like, you know, you have to go through the process step by step. And so don't jump to the end. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a lot of people are always just really interested in asking questions about, like, marketing, which, honestly, you should be doing the whole time. So that's yeah. Fair. But, like, things like IP and, and things like, how do it's, I get an audience and, and all this stuff. And it's like, yes, it, those are great questions to ask, yeah. however. Also. You know what's you know what's a great way to have a consistent audience? Have a consistent show. If you release yeah. every two weeks until your show is done, you're going to have more listeners than if you release uh, two weeks here and then you wait three months and then you do two episodes there. If you just are consistent with your, your flow and your episode release, you're going to gain much more of an audience yep absolutely and they will do the marketing for you for a little bit Uh, (laughs) word of mouth is great word of mouth is great especially in podcasting Mm -hmm. alas Mm -hmm. it's only so far it can go Uh (laughs) (laughs) which it's fine i i feel i always feel a little pretentious saying this but Regardless of how many downloads I get, I'm still going to continue to make podcasts. Like even if no one listened to Null and Void, I was still gonna, I was still gonna make it and put it on. Um, even if no one listens to the shows, it's a fun creative process for me. Sure, I would love thirty million downloads, but um, <laughs> but you know, again, I'm still gonna keep creating, regardless. The episode descriptions of, of Null and Void yes. are in adapted lines of Python, yes. which I could recognize only because I took one single <laughs> computational linguistics class about Python in grad school. Well, you took more um, than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, talk to me about your process with the person credited as your master coda, yeah. Ayla Taylor, and what was involved in this. Oh, God. So um, uh, I was blessed to meet Ayla at a podcast movement in 2019. Um, yeah, yes, because they stipped last, because, yes, 2019, <laughs> uh, because we live in a hell state. Yeah. yeah, um, in 2019, uh, uh, they were, they're very cool, they're very cool, please don't listen to Tides, good show, great show, um, and they had mentioned, uh, I had explained the premise of, of Null and Void, and they had mentioned that they did some coding in terms of AI, and we got discussing, um, about some cool stuff that happens in the series and um, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, hey, I had an idea for episode descriptions, but also I am an idiot. <laughs> please, please help. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and I gave them like a whole bunch of ideas of like what I wanted the code to say and like what what properties I wanted it to to be able to relay back to our audience who may or may not be able to understand it and also help them understand it, like not make it super complicated. And we worked and um, workshopped and I think we hopped on a call one night for we were there for like two hours of just like going through code and and talking uh, about like, oh, this is what I'm looking for. Um, And as as they helped me through the episodes and as I started to like learn more about Python myself, I gave a shot uh, at it. Um, and those last couple of episodes were they're a little shoddy compared to the first ones, but um, <laughs> uh, and then worked with them to be like, okay, does this make sense? Um, but it was very much about crafting a a code that could theoretically work as well as incorporating uh, elements of fiction. Um, into said code. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's basically, like, the coolest shit, right? Like, um, it's fascinating, like, mm-hmm. the ways that you can, uh, you know, interpret story mm-hmm. through code. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of that code of, like, the concept of taking something that is generally inaccessible to a general audience, like Python, um, also, like within the show, the legalese you read in contracts, the at all hereforth, whenceforth, if you do this within uh, like 14 days time, and then just all that legal jargon, and then being able to shift that into something that the basic person can understand. Because there's a lot of there is a lot of inaccessibility in terms of not only coding but also within the uh within a capitalist society that also has like government contracts yep. and business contracts and just pages upon pages of contracts that you a basic person wouldn't have any idea of where to start deciphering and figuring out if you're getting a deal or not um i worked for uh, about three years for a um, a leasing office. And we leased out these like mega condos. And we also had like um, another property that uh, worked with low income folks. And the amount of not bartering, but the amount of like back and forth uh of contracts between people who would be renting these like high-rise condos and the amount of just 
roll over and take it that I would see from folks in the low income housing mm-hmm. because they just they you you can't know like that mm-hmm. kind of shit makes my eyes gloss over and it's really easy to exploit people who don't have the means to decipher. Um, and this is a really long rant to say that. No, no, um, no, uh, you're fine. <laughs> just there are so many different ways that we bar uh, marginalized folks and and low income and and uh, anyone who is not an ultra rich probably cishet white man um yeah and a lot of and a lot of an unseen um like part of that is through the legal contracts and the legal and Mm -hmm. legal world that we have to deal with um absolutely being a part of that was half of the reason i wrote null and void of just frustration i most of knowing that you processes are through spite (laughs) That's been a lot of people on this season <laughs> of RDR. <laughs> um, no, yeah, knowing that now that you like uh, that you worked with um, with real estate, mm-hmm. uh, serving both uh, very high income, ultra privileged people, probably also like ultra educated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like high privilege education versus like low income, uh, not as accessible, marginalized mm-hmm. um, folks. Suddenly makes a lot of null and void make sense, uh-huh. uh, like in new ways. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about how those experiences with real estate, um, boy, and, and uh, oh, I also influenced it. I worked for an HOA for a while, um, which also feeds into that. Wow. Oh. Talk about uh-huh. racism. I hate oh. HOAs. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> there was. Okay, fun. this doesn't answer your question, but fun fun story time. Um, Love fun I, when story I worked, time. When I worked for the HOA, it was a small five-person office, um, which means that they are not legally required to have an HR. We would have board meetings, and all of the board, the board members were old white guys, and well, they would not let us go digital. Every uh, every two weeks, we would have to print off per board member 150 pages, uh, front and back, 150 pages, and they would not let us go digital. It's fine. Climate change mm-hmm. isn't real anyway. Yeah. Half of my job was shredding paper. I would do a vet. That would radicalize anyone, frankly. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I would go work for, like, two hours a day. I would go and plan the events for the neighborhood, and then I would go and shred paper. Yeah, I hate mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst, actually. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> well, that explains more things. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... Boy, howdy! Uh, it 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 definitely played into the themes of like, because I wasn't. It was like a nothing job. It was a do nothing mm-hmm. job, and it really fed into the feeling of I am wasting my degree. Um, mm-hmm. I am technically in my field, but I'm not doing what uh, I'm not doing what makes me happy within my field. I very quickly mm-hmm. realized it was the depression and the fact that I hate people and not necessarily just my job. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know. Um, you gotta go through a process to get yeah, to that conclusion. Yeah. And then, like, even when I changed jobs and went to go work for this leasing uh, a, a company, um, 
it like it still persisted. I was a year into working for the leasing company and it kind of just it hit me. I listened to I was listening to Dream Boy um, and that open got gorgeous opening um, monologue Love from that. Dream Boy. And it was just kind of like I have been in podcasts for at least like two years by then. Um, I was mostly on the um the actual play side, but it was like, I listened, I heard Dream Boy and it was like, oh, I want to do that. Oh, I want to do this. And uh, like, uh, and just sat down and started writing um, and then started building on that and then bullying my friends into come into editing (laughs) my work for me Um, and like giving me feedback. And then it just, it made so much sense. And when I was done with it, I had, I felt so much better. It didn't like magically cure my depression, but I was like, oh, I have worked through (laughs) the trauma that is being out of college and still hating life. Um, And like, I ended up getting let go from that job because of COVID. Uh, Three three years and nothing to fucking show for it. I swear to fucking God. (laughs) Anyways, um, and just... People don't really talk about, in terms of the job market, how traumatizing it is to have an extremely shitty job or an extremely shitty job situation and not being able to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because people are always like, oh, well, if you don't like it, just get another job. Oh, get another another job. job. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure that's very easy. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I have job offers. Yeah, I have job offers yeah. just raining down on me. Yeah, there's a reason it lasted th- why I put up with that bullshit for three months and yeah, not Jesus. three three minutes like I would have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, and I was, I was in medical debt. I was in college debt. I was in, like, I was a newly freshened adult with a barely mating like a living wage or 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 barely being able to do anything because I was working too much and not making enough. I applied for food stamps and they told me I was making too much, but I also couldn't afford to pay rent if I bought food. And yeah, right? I was making yeah. too much money. Money. And it was by like it was by like $100 and I was yep. like I if I if I asked my boss for less hours, I won't be able to make rent over all much less eat than yep. if I just didn't eat. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that that you mentioned um, here is this, you know, the, sh- the shredding of paper and printing mm-hmm. 150 pages per board mm-hmm. member. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so still angry. It's been four, it's been like about, five years. Yeah, no, I'm, I would literally be angry for the rest of my life. Um, so let's let's talk about exploitation of the land, and environmental pollution. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> in in episode three, there's a brief mention by one of the characters that they can't stargaze any longer because Void Networks has installed a blinking light, which of course puts me in mind of of Elon Musk um, and mm. his Starlink satellites. Um, noted enemy of the yeah. pod. Ugh, uh, fuck, fuck off, Elon <laughs> Musk. Um, yeah. Um, so originally, the blinking light was an homage to Welcome to Night Vale, um, which is one of the <laughs> first podcasts that like I actually started listening to way back in oh god, um, like soft, freshman sophomore year of college, um, and uh, uh, and then I was thinking about it of like there there it's this small town 
there is a giant like fuck off skyscraper of a building that's already probably blocking half the view and the other half is this giant blinking light so planes don't hit it of course it's gonna blot out part of the sun and yep. cause this insane amount of light pollution especially just as a building itself um mm-hmm. and i imagine they're the type of assholes who would leave the lights on um because they still have people working overnight uh or you know working late into the hours and um and refuse to let them work remotely it's fine yeah uh-huh um, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um and just like a-, a lot of that i am um, i grew up in a um relatively suburban area but went like camping a lot and worked at a, a summer camp for um a large a large portion of my childhood and teen years um worked and and basically lived at this the summer camp all year and just the stark difference between being able to see the stars there and just even like a a densely populated town was ridiculous um Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i just i imagine the idea of this small kind of middle of nowhere town that suddenly gets like a big city, uh, a a big city corporation dropped on the middle of it, and then they become self like s- reliant on this corporation and just the damage that would do to this town. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we uh, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of problems regarding water rights in Oregon right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Ugh, because. Water- yeah, water <laughs> rights are so fucking. And as you can imagine, uh, the indigenous the indigenous communities are getting fucked over. Uh huh. Um, as, as as per freaking usual. Uh huh. Um, but it's it's this wild like <sighs> problem in like in Klamath where there is actually not enough water for any one person like or any one like interest group rather uh, for the things that they need. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's literally just like you're fighting over like an amount of water that will not do what it is that you want it to do like yeah. for no one. Yeah. It's just like like and it's also like such a like ridiculous problem because it's also in one of the counties that wants to like leave Oregon and become part of Idaho. Oh, I saw that. Like what the f- I <laughs> <laughs> And Listen, I'm going to I'm going to just go briefly on a slight tangent here. Please. And just to let y'all know, Eastern Oregon is where like was where people grow like the majority of the weed. Like they make a lot of <laughs> the farmers in Eastern Oregon make a lot of money from their like growing weed business. You know what's not legal in Idaho? <laughs> At all? <laughs> it's it's weed. It's it's their it's their income. Oh boy. <laughs> well, I what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, yeah, no, I have a lot of strong opinions about corporations like muscling in and taking over like environmental, among mm-hmm. many other things, right? But environmental concerns, right? And, and yeah. rights, um, like the buying of land that Dasani does. Literally, like all Dasani spends their money on is buying land and lawsuits mm-hmm. and like was, manufacturing uh, plastic bottles. <laughs> originally, um, when I was plotting out the course of the season. Um, Dodger lives on a plot of land called the uh, Lavender Hotel, I believe is what I've named it. Um, Lavender Hill Hotel. Lav- Lavender Hill Hotel. Thank you. Um, I know my story. Uh, <laughs> look, it's been like two years since I've written it. Um, uh, uh, originally when I was plotting it out, I was going to have um, the, the, the big baddies of the season 
like actually destroy the hotel. Um, and then I realized it's not like where I wanted to go and things shifted and, and it was going to play a much bigger part, but I still wanted to keep the hotel in just cause I think mm-hmm. like it, I think it said a lot about who Dodger was as a person being able to like entomb themselves in this hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And just like mm-hmm. the idea, like when it's described, we get that description of a bunch of people like protecting it when the yeah. when the city and, and therefore because of the corporation wanted to bring it down. Yeah. And yeah. it was going to be very much a like Dodger chaining themselves to the outside of this hotel kind of thing um, of like, a, a yeah, we need to save our our home from being destroyed by this shitty, shitty corporation. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, I think that dovetails very nicely into into a discussion yet more mm-hmm. about this the one of Nolan Foy's key themes, which is capitalism, corporate overreach, and exploitation. Uh huh. Strap in, Buckaroos. Uh, <laughs> I just called everybody in the audience Buckaroos. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, we can uh, edit it out. We'll edit that out. <laughs> we will not edit it out. <laughs> what are some of the more insidious ways that corporations exploit us for their like own capitalistic benefit that we don't know about or don't notice that you uh, learned either in your work or in the process of writing this story? Yeah. Uh, they will convince the dude making f- uh, 40000 a year that the dude making 20000 a year is his enemy when uh, mm-hmm. they, in fact make a hundred thousand a year um uh mm-hmm. there are so many things that uh corporations do to pit class and gender and race against each other um yes. it, it is not it is not just uh sh- shitty white people well it is not just sh- shitty racist white people that pit people against each other it is the people you are buying food from and clothes and the people that are marketing movies um, and the people that are designing the um, the fashion that we wear. Um, there are mm-hmm. so many ways that we are pitted against one another and it's very hard to like take a step back and realize what is happening. Um, also, this idea of a 40-hour work week is slowly killing our labor force. Um uh, and um, they cannot do the work without us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They would not have a job without us. Uh, e- Elon Musk wouldn't be able to send a fucking car to the moon if he didn't have people to build the fucking rocket for him. I hate that um, man. I hate that man so fucking much. Um, like... W- <sighs> I, I, I'm very tired of, mm-hmm. I, I'm very tired of. I'm very tired, <laughs> full, full stop. I literally <laughs> thought you were going to stop there, which is why I went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God, I'm very tired. Yeah. No, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's insidious. It's like very, and it's very much one of these things also that they do with union busting. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, we just saw with fucking Amazon. Of, yep. of they they threatened union uh, people who are going to be voting on unions. They said, oh, if you do, uh, if you like do vote yes for this union, we're going to take away your, your health care 
or, or oh, you're going to be out of a job, you're going to be fired, even though it is literally something they are not allowed to do. Allowed. And people <laughs> saw them doing it, and there is yeah. evidence of them doing it. They are going to get away with it. Yep. And, and that union fell through. Now, who knows? Um, and, like... And that that kind of sentiment is is everywhere. I was arguing with my dad, who is the inspiration for Chris, because he literally went through a war and back and then came back and had trouble adjusting and was arguing with my dad of like, my dad was saying that, oh, unions should not be a thing because because corporations were built to take care of its people. And I'm like... Dad, you're disabled. Opposite. You are literally disabled. Literally the opposite, actually. Literally. <laughs> what? Excuse me for streaming that. I I know that audio no, fine. Will I apologize? But like... Will probably screamed with you. Don't worry. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I did scream. That's true. It is. It is so ingrained into the generation before us of of. They are doing the work for the betterment of the company and the company in turn will reward them. Mm-hmm. But we as a generation and the generations after us are not seeing those wheels turn. And it's incredibly frustrating yeah. of where is not where is our due because I not to do it. I, I don't feel that we're do anything, but like, where is the. Where is the the respect? Honestly, yeah, honestly, the respect (laughs) and the empathy and the if we put forward this, how are you going to put forward that same amount of of effort or care? Are you going to Mm -hmm. if we a if we work your company, are you going to give us the ability to work, whether it be through a living wage or and or and through healthcare or <laughs> mental health, are you going to be giving us, are we going to be able to take days off without fearing for missing rent? Am mm-hmm. I going to be able to, not that I want to, but would I be able to have a kid and be able to take care of that kid? Would I be able to, you know, do the things that make me feel human while also contributing to this workforce? Yeah, and um, also be be in a workforce where I feel valued and respected yes, and safe. Yes, which is and a yes, very large concern. <laughs> Yes, a hundred percent valued and will respected we, and safe. Will we have an HR department? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, period to start with, and then mm-hmm. you know, HR is only so useful. I, I looked uh, into it, they, and Virginia law says that you have to have at least twelve employees before you get an HR. Yeah, well, that explains a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I hate that. Two, HR mostly exists to protect the corporation or company that yep. they work for. Yes. Um, oh, yes. Um, I technically went to college for human resources. Um, yeah. It got shuffled into basically my major. Um, uh, I went to school for tourism and events management with a focus in hospitality and a minor in sustainability policy and planning. Um, and part of that means that I had to go through a bunch of HR classes because you are going to be a public facing person running events and you have to make sure that your ass is covered. Mm -hmm. Uh, You also have to make sure that the people you are representing's ass is covered. Uh, And there is a there's a lot of that. Um, And there's not a lot of that within audio drama. (laughs) Um, No. I if if I get sexually harassed by my showrunner, there's no HR for me to talk to. I just either have to deal with it or get the fuck out. Um, yeah. Yep. yeah. 
May uh, I recommend that people uh, look up Unwell's uh, policies that mm-hmm. they uh, adapted from? Yeah. Uh, not mm-hmm. in our house, Chicago Theater Community. It was a. It's a big. Um, uh, what should I call it? Uh, like theater collective company. movement. Theater thing. collective. Yeah. Yeah. They like made like theater standards to like protect people, and because yeah. in, part, in part because of the fact that Heart Life adapted these for drop for podcasts, and then you know, produce them and we're like, give credit to not in our house, but like use these. A yeah. bunch of people like Nolan Void um, started uh, using them and hopefully also following them. Yes. I mean, Nolan Void, hopefully everyone well, else too. Obviously, <laughs> yes, Nolan Void, but everyone else that I don't know about. Mm-hmm. I, hope, I hope it's, I hope it's mm-hmm. going okay. Hope it's um, good. Hope it's good. <laughs> it's going to be um, fine. Well, since we're talking about these things that, that we mm-hmm. can do in as individuals and as like smaller communities, what role can regular individuals, right, and, and small independent communities play in combating the detrimental effects capitalism has on said communities? Uh, make art, pay rent, help others do the same. Um, that is not mine. Uh, <laughs> I do not remember the original creator, but I'm going to direct you to Austin Walker of Friends at the Table who introduced me to that phrase. Um, also a great show. Don't listen to that show. Um, in mm-hmm. that, be creative because be, the process of being creative is going to open your mind to other possibilities and other uh, ways to view life. Um, pay rent because you need a place in which to make art and help others do the same. Support marginalized creators. Support smaller independent creators. Support people who are not people like Amazon or are not Mm -hmm. Walmart. Buy from small stores because it's going to give them the opportunity to do the same thing of make art, pay rent, help others do the same. It is a cycle that builds upon itself and it is a cycle that will eventually with time and a little bit more light work start to heal communities and bring them closer together. And hopefully we'll also stop passing the same $20 bill back and forth. Yeah, and hopefully we can stop passing the same $20 (laughs) bill back and forth. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, Very good. I love that. Thank you for bringing it up. And yeah, shout out to Austin Walker for always being great. Uh, Mm -hmm. I love Austin Walker's work. Mm -hmm. Um, Very much. Since we're talking about these things that people can do and, and capitalism and its horrible effects on, you know, everything, Null and Void maybe think a lot about the societal premises about activism and who we call an activist or an organizer, <sighs> terms that are often usually loaded with a huge sense of importance, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think about activism and in particular about activism, right, is how social artistic communities apply the term activist, and activism um there are boy how do i say this um there are people who will under the guise of activism do more harm than good uh Mm -hmm. they will Mm -hmm. take it upon themselves to be the voice of some community without actually talking or taking lessons from said community um they can, um, boy, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I know what character, but that I can't talk about the character, um, um, <laughs> of like, 
you can do a lot of good. You can donate to. I've actually I've had this discussion like three times in the past week, all just independently. It's, but it's, um, it's very relevant right now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you can. So let's let's talk about charity. Charity's good. It's great. You can give money to a cause. Um, you hopefully kind of know where that cause is going and where those funds are going. Charity is not the only thing you can do. Um, you can volunteer your time. You can help run events and coordinate uh, activities. Uh, you can sit in and talk with people and build relationships and trust and become a dependent member of the community. Or you can do none of that and just give all of your money to charity. Don't get me wrong. Charity's great. I love charity. Please, yes, money. Go, go. Sometimes, sometimes throwing money at a problem does work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> other times, you have to start from the ground up. You have to make sure that you are building these um, pillars of the community um, that give people uh, someone you can rely on or someone you can go to for resources or even just developing resources for the community. Um, Instead of being the person who speaks over others and shouts about things that may not necessarily be relevant or helpful, um, and sometimes you can use it for your own gain. Um, we talk a lot about parasocial relationships, but that can also be used to exploit the community of, that you're building yourself off of, um, of that if you smile and act buddy-buddy and take advantage of the people within your community and they build you up and then you turn around and break the ladder off behind you. What the fuck are you doing? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. If you have to constantly be working to support others around you, that way you can build everyone up together and not just you up the ladder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um and one, one other, I think, salient point, right, to this description is also being mm -hmm. careful, like, who you want to call an activist. Yeah. Um, because uh, a, a black artist existing and making art does not make them an activist. No. Right? Oh, no. Let people live. Yeah. Like, yeah. let people live. Um, right. And, like, someone who is a self-proclaimed activist, I probably wouldn't trust much either. Um, I feel like activist is a, uh, it is a, it's a verb. It's not a, mm -hmm. it's not a noun. Yes, um, it's a verb. I mean, yeah, um, it, it it is. It's a, it's a thing that you do, and you have to actively yeah. do. It's literally activism. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't really call yourself an activist if you aren't doing what it means to be an activist. And I I feel like I I honestly feel like activist should be like a title given to you by a community, and not necessarily one you take on your own. Yeah, like and the there's title granted. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I kind of agree. Um, but I, I also like um, one of the things that I also want to tell people, right, who might feel like discouraged by this mm -hmm. or something is one, don't be discouraged. Right? Yeah. Is that, I'm an like, asshole. It's OK. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're both assholes here. Um, uh, is that yes, this is true. And you need to keep this in mind, you know, when you go forth like on the Internet or in mm -hmm. person in your local communities, but that. Um, that there are different ways to do activism because yeah. an, an organization and a movement, like a movement for something, can't succeed without having people doing multiple roles, like yeah. different roles. Not someone doing all of the hats, but like multiple people wearing a hat. <laughs> yeah, they, they say it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a village to raise a village. Um, yep, pretty much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> everyone is doing their part somehow. As long as you're doing good with good intentions, I think you'll be fine. And when you find out that you're not doing good and you fix that, mm-hmm. that's good. Be, that's, do, that's, be, that's, be better. Do better. Yeah. Do better. Listen mm-hmm. to people. All yeah, listen things. to people when they call you out for some shitty things you might have done. Yeah, maybe all, all the way wrapping back to the beginning of your mm-hmm. of your answer, right? This, uh, yeah. you know, if you're purporting to support a community and you break off a ladder behind you, you're probably not listening to people. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> <sighs> One of the highlights of Null and Void for me mm-hmm. is the way that we get to hear Piper's inner voice and her very complicated, yeah. deep struggles with depression and anxiety. So what was it about Null and Void's premise that made it critical for us to live inside Piper's head this way? It was honestly a, a sort of... I mentioned that when I started dream- when I started listening to Dreambound, it it sp- in sp- not Dreambound, um, Dreamboy, Dreamboy. Excuse me, Dreambound is also it another is. great podcast. Yes. <laughs> go, go listen to that. Um, uh, I started listening to um, Dreamboy, and there was that opening intro and that opening monologue. And originally, when I started writing Null and Void, it was going to be just a single narrator. And then, as I started writing, I was like, oh oh, no, hold on, this doesn't work for the story I want to tell. Um, because there are so many different characters already and so many different, like, personalities that it would be very hard to do with just a single person. And so it it evolved from there. But I still wanted to keep that because I I find it's very, it's very hard to talk about the struggle with, at least for me, the struggle with, like, an internal depression and a, or an internal struggle within a, like, third-person view. Mm-hmm. Um, without it being, like, extremely cheesy or without there being, like, a weird voiceover or or something like that. Or and even so, just, like, a gap in, in, yeah. the, in the message that you want to send that you just right. can't bridge without the inner voice. Exactly. And so it made sense as a a a way for me to set up what I wanted the episode to be and to to ease the audience into the themes that they would be seeing throughout the ep- the next couple of episodes um and also just give like a, give an update to Piper see how she's yeah. doing how's it going Piper <laughs> you okay yeah. there how no? are you doing not right. great no <laughs> <laughs> not great well me too that's mm-hmm. fine let's we oh. can um talk to me about uh narrative conventions that are that are set by the fiction podcast medium and by storytelling mediums in general yeah. and and uh your thoughts on experimenting with them or playing yeah. around with them and why of that's course. important <laughs> uh so the big one within audio dramas is the use of the recorder uh as a way to set the universe um, you see it in things like the Bright Sessions or the Black Tapes in that, or in the Madness Archives in that they're speaking to you, the listener, through a recording device, which is the framework for their show. Um, and that is how you will experience the universe. And that's great. Um, I am glad we have moved away from that. Uh, <laughs> but um, it is very good in that it sets um, interesting um, limitations and parameters for yes. how you design the world and how people listen to it. But that also means that you've set parameters on how you've designed this world and how people listen to it. Um, and sometimes <laughs> hearing something through a tape recorder doesn't sound as satisfying as hearing multiple people all uh, all within one big scene and hearing every aspect of that scene. Um, and expanding outside of just what a tape recorder can hear or sound like to your listener. Um, we also did a lot of um, just first-person narration, which has its 
good and it's bad um and and um things like that but but being able to expand and even switch through different styles is very good as well. It creates something new for the audience that they may not be used to, um, which is why I, uh, not which is why, but partly why I think uh, the narration opening monologue into the actual like third person um, experience of these scenes um, was a nice like switch instead of just all of one or all of the other. It was a gentle mix of both. Um, and I, I hope I did that well. Um, Thank you. Uh, yeah, you did. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll soon be entering into a season break where we take some time off to recuperate and pull together new material. I would love and appreciate it if you could support us so that the team who does so much for this show can get paid. One way you can do that is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. We have a special secret Discord server for everyone. We organize digital parties involving PowerPoint presentations, relaxed chatting, playing podcasts for everyone, and more. If you can't come, you can see the content later when we upload it to Patreon. I'd love to see you there and talk about podcasts with you. And yes, you can find out what weird noises I make on mic when I'm recording this that get cut out and saved as bloopers. Let's return to our interview with Cole Burkhardt. Um, so first, um, Nolan Void is a black queer show. It is yes. described as such in crowdfunding and press materials. This is, you know, part of the description that people are aware of when they come into it. We have both of, both of us have <laughs> talked at length on various platforms about the lack of support for artists of color. Uh-huh. Um, talk to me. Tell me about your experiences um, as much as you feel comfortable with um, yeah. with with identity and representation politics and art creation and how it impacted the creation and publication of Null and Void. Yeah. Um oh boy, howdy. There is a uh, a big a big idea or belief within the straight cishet community that there's only one way to be something. Um, mm-hmm. And that uh, and and a big emphasis just in general within the queer community on labels that you have to be a cookie cutter set within that label or you are not a part of that label. There's one way to be this type of of queer person or there's one way that you can be a lesbian or or, or things like that. Um, but. Labels, while they are important for finding community and putting a, a, a label to a set of symptoms or experiences, are not the be-all, end-all of, mm-hmm. of queerness. Um, and you kind of have to accept that. Uh, you also have to accept that people who are marginalized, be it by race or by gender, are going to make mistakes. Um there, there's a big emphasis within like respectability politics of like, if you are of a minority person, you have to be perfect. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you are um, giving a bad rep to people of that yep. other uh, race, sexuality, identity, etc. But it's not fucking true. We're just we're, true. we're people. We're gonna make mistakes. To err is to human, and to fuck about is to find out. Like. <laughs> Like, you have to understand that people of color and margin and other and like uh, people of color and queer people haven't had the same amount of time to explore 
themselves within an artistic setting as uh, as long of a time as like cishet white people have. Mm-hmm. Um, there is with people of color. There were literal laws that prevented us from being on screen. Uh, there were literal laws that prevented us from being in the same spaces as white people. And and we didn't have that room to explore and create. We had to make our own. And even when we did make our own, they were heavily policed and then invaded and and taken over by people who were not of our community originally. And we haven't had the time to sit down and write messy stories. We haven't had the time to be messy in a way that is in a way that people are going to accept and support in the same way that their messy white creators could. Um, we we can't be like a a model token, as as they mm-hmm. like to say, um, for um, especially for for Asian uh, folks. But but we we don't need to be a model. We just need to live. We just need mm-hmm. to breathe and have the space to explore and create. Um, and I know I'm gonna circle this back around to null and void. I promise. Um, null and void. A lot of a lot of the way that my identity within the corporate world was explored was through hate. Um, anytime I brought up a partner, I would face some sort of homophobia or sexism. Um, this is a mild spoiler for a scene that happens later in the series, but Piper gets asked, what are you? Um, mm-hmm. In terms of uh, of her skin color. And that is a question I get regularly. Um, it, it's kind of a fun countdown when I start a new job of how long will it take someone to ask, what are you? And then I like to do this fun, oh, well, I'm human. Oh, well, I uh, I'm the event manager. Oh, no, I'm a Scorpio. Okay, well, then they'll go, all right, well, well, no, 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 where, where are you from? Oh, well, I'm from, you know, this area, but, you know, I'm a military brat, so we hopped around a lot. No, 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 where are your parents from? Oh, well, my dad's from New Jersey, my mom's from New York. No, 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 grandparents. Yeah, my my grandparents from New Jersey. My, grandpa- my grandparents on my mom's side are from New York. No, 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 what? And then, and then finally, finally, if they still have not gotten it yet, I go... Do you mean to ask me what my ethnicity is? Because white people are afraid to say the word ethnicity or yeah. race. Of like, if you want to know what I am, just fucking know- ask. You don't have to be, what are you? Do you know how dehumanizing that is? What do you mean, what am I? I am a complex, complex being full of multitudes. I am more than just exactly what you see on my fucking skin tone. I am more than the partner that I have or don't have or may never have or... Or there is so much more to me than just my skin tone and my queer identity. And I d- don't don't get me fucking wrong. I love being gay. I love being mixed and black mm-hmm. and proud of that bullshit. But all of my trauma regarding that comes from outside. It comes from the things I get from other people. And from the interactions I have with people who don't view me as a uh, mixed black trans man, but as a, a vaguely ethnic, uh, uh, I don't know, I get plopped as like, I've gotten plopped as like Latina. I've gotten um, Af- uh, from being from like Afghanistan or, uh, uh, or Hispanic. Um, I've, 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 people like to make it a guessing game to figure out what race I am. And it is the most... 
God, I love it so fucking much. Um, anyways, uh, I wanted to create a show that was both loud in its queerness and loud in its blackness. I established right up fucking front that Adelaide was a black woman and that Piper, uh, Piper later on in the series is confirmed handed as a black woman because I realized I didn't do that. And then I was like, wait, no, I need to have my main character. But I, I fucking established it. And I didn't because I knew if there was fan art, if there ever is fan art, people were going to make them white women. Yeah, I, I, I could not have that. I mm-hmm. made sure that it was as canon as I fucking could that every uh, every character uh, except for Chris um, is a person of color. Uh, Chris was specifically my white guy. He was my totem white man. Um, yeah, there I you love go. This. Yeah, the, <laughs> d- diversity win. We have a totem white man. Oh my guy. Nailed uh, it. And, yeah, and then also made fucking sure that they knew that the royals were white as well. Because mm-hmm. goddammit, why wouldn't they be? Um, yep. And just, boy, I, I, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of labels, but I need I needed to make those explicit. Um, mm-hmm. Because otherwise, people are going to take my work, and they were going to make it into something that it was not. Yep, absolutely. No, yeah. Um, this is, I mean, this is a very common problem, right? And 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 you know, the the other side of this is that you know, when you were talking about letting us be messy, it was also, mm-hmm. you know, this this idea of like we need to write the stories that are messy. That we need to yeah. write the stories that are about the toxicity that be- are about because- the abuse. Because when we do, and we finally get all of that toxicity and abuse out of our fucking literary system, it can pave the way for kids who 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 were like me, who can then go on to write not messy work. I want to be able to write stories. I want to be able to write messy queer and black stories for queer and black kids to then go and write their own perfect queer and black stories. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. I think you did a great job with Dolan Void, first of all. <laughs> Thank you. And so that we can talk about those futures for you, tell us about this new show that you <laughs> just teased, like, at the beginning of this conversation. Like, what? An hour and 15 <laughs> minutes ago. Uh, yeah, um, I am writing a show called Ritual Six. Uh, it is... I, I hate elevator pitches. It is like Groundhog yeah. Day, but with cults and magic. Um, it is a... Uh-huh. Now you see why I had my write- my writers had to go through it a lot uh, yeah. because there was a lot to keep track of. Um, uh, it is a story about a young man uh, living out in a remote community uh, who finds himself reliving the worst day of his life over and over and over again. And he and a small group of others have to fight to break the curse that has been placed upon them. Yeah, uh, that sounds dope. Yeah, <laughs> um, it is a horror thriller. Uh, if I can get my shit together in time, uh, we will be doing crowdfunding for it in October with the series set to release in the new year of 2022. Give the Twitter account handle so that yes. people can uh, go follow it. You can find us on Twitter at Ritual6 and you can find our website at ritual6.card.co and that's card with two R's. Excellent. Yay. Everyone, sign up and stay tuned for crowdfunding so that we mm-hmm. can get this amazing show off the ground. Because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm ready. I need mm-hmm. it. Actually, let's let's actually do this. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, 
We're going to transition briefly into a section called the spoiler zone. Spoiler um, zone. <laughs> if you are entering the zone, you need to have listened to to the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> listen to the full. Don't just stop this interview. Go listen to the full now. season. <laughs> Go listen to the full season and then come back. Mm-hmm. I will wait for you to stop. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. You've stopped. Good. All right. For the rest of you that remain. Um, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit here about the characters and, and their chemistry. So Piper and Adelaide immediately have an incredible chemistry, um, <laughs> right? Something that seems to also mm-hmm. resonate in the characters of, of Dodger, Chris, and Nikki, right? To varying degrees and, and styles. Mm-hmm. And especially in the beginning, these relationships are complicated, pedestal-like, yeah. probably parasocial even to both negative <laughs> and positive degrees. So what is it about Adelaide that empowers them but can also be a detriment? Yeah, Um Adelaide is a powerful, positive force. Um, Adelaide, from the very moment, is like, you've got this, I believe in you. Um, And belief is a very powerful thing, especially Mm -hmm. when you have a mysterious, seemingly all-knowing, omnipresent force of, oh, this person who has their head on their shoulders and knows what they're doing believes that I know what I am doing. Um, and that is oftentimes a really great thing. Um, but sometimes you can be confidently incorrect. <laughs> um, I love that phrase. Uh-huh. Um, Extremely good. Sorry, yeah. continue. <laughs> um, and, and it's almost, it can almost become kind of, I'm hesitant to say cult-like, but of like, you becoming too reliant on a charismatic, all-smiling leader sometimes doesn't work because we are human and humans make mistakes and sometimes will lead you astray. Um, And as much as Adelaide likes to say she isn't, she is still human in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. She's she's still made of human bits. (laughs) (laughs) She's still made of human bits. Um, And I'm going to ask you one very spoilery question here Mm -hmm. um, that will build on your on your answer here about about what it means to be human. Right. So so Adelaide, um, Adelaide's an AI. Um, and, um, many other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh (laughs) Putting it, putting it mildly. So, um, this show is also very much, uh, not just about capitalism, right, but specifically humanity, Mm -hmm. um, and, and its relationship to capitalism. So, um, talk to me a little bit about, um, the place of artificial intelligence, um, in our, in our future, um, and 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 the concept of humanity as we go forward. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so let's see. Um, I had mentioned earlier in that people don't realize how traumatic it is to be within a shitty work experience, but it's also very in inhumanizing, inhumanizing to to be within to be within. Uh, like a capitalistic workforce because they don't really see they don't see you as people they see you as as a workforce um ants within a, a moving anthill um that they they lord over who, who knows maybe some of the maybe not all capitalists but still fucking <laughs> we live in a society fuck off um, and uh uh so it was very it was inter- very interesting to me to take this concept of oh depression and capitalism makes me feel inhuman um and i've lost 
that sparked inside me that makes me feel human. And then going to Adelaide, who is such a spark of joy and such a blip of delightful humanity that that I, I, I just love that contrast of being able to take the remains of of someone's uh, dying um, uh, neural synapses and being able to craft and create almost artificially something that can still reflect and feel and act and think and verbalize and rationalize like a human, even if they are just numbers that think they are. Um, I love I love that concept of 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 AI that can pass a Turing test. Uh, Turing, mm-hmm. Turing, 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 what, Turing test, tur- yeah, Turing test, um, Turing. and just the who, who knows, who knows, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. the, the test that tells me if a robot is human or not. Yeah. Um, of of yeah, yes, you can pass that test, and um, yes, you can you can rationalize, but. Can a rope God not to get into like iRobot, but can a robot <laughs> love? Can a robot yeah. paint a masterpiece? Can right. you? Yeah. Um, what would it take to take this code and these numbers and make them have that spark of life? And the answer to that was put it on the internet. <laughs> put it on the internet and let it see life for itself. There are so many cool things on the on the internet and so many mixing of ideas and beliefs and and Google map and um and um different ways to get all of that human experience just out there on the web. Uh, when I when I was in college, we studied a lot about globalization and the process of ideas and how ideas are transferred. And one of the big, like, big ways was through the creation and spread of the internet and how it became a a more of a household name across the the world and how that began to influence more and more ideas and how we begin to like spread and share and create from that. And there's so much like joy and hope out there on the internet. There's also a lot of shitty stuff on the internet, but there's also a lot of like great joy and honest experiences um, mm-hmm. through like, you know, YouTube and America's Hun- Funniest Home Videos. And like, there's so much great stuff out there that the only way to see it is to see it for yourself and the only mm-hmm. way an AI can see it is through the internet. The internet. The, if you're if you're thinking right now of, of Lilu from The Fifth Element, you're not wrong. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, the the whole bit of the end where where Lilu is is going through all of the like has been going all like through like this like giant encyclopedia of mm-hmm. of stuff right of the like Earth and humanity and gets yeah. to all like gets to war right and right loses her loses her mind and loses her hope and then like having to see love in action for herself right um, the movie has it has its own problems but I love the fifth element um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and it is I think a, a really good um, sort of like minor like smaller encapsulation of this yeah of this I think you're you're totally right Marcus did did I think one of the smartest things he could have done and hooked her <laughs> up to the internet yeah um, and and just that small that small bit was was enough was enough so 
I might sometimes say that technology was a mistake, but I am being yeah. exa- I am obviously like exaggerating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Te- technology hope. is great. Asterisk. Yeah. <laughs> asterisk. Technology. Let's let's get into the asterisk. Yeah. Actually, um, well, it's things like with the yeah. like the algorithm. Um, technically, an algorithm can't be racist, but, but. the people who design <laughs> the algorithms can be, both consciously and unconsciously. Um, there are so many ways that people can exploit technology, um, mm-hmm. even if the technical machine in and of itself isn't something that is inherently good or evil. It is how it is used in the hands of people who have made it and people who have distributed it and people who own it. Um, and also good for the spoiler section here is right. We've we've had a lot of think, guests on to I talk so. about. We've had a lot of guests to to talk about data privacy on RDR, mm-hmm. and, and here's our here's our latest entry. Mm-hmm. So I hope y'all are ready for oh, more God. data privacy. Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Mark fucking Zuckerberg. There was an this interview call with out. him once. There was an interview with him once, and people were like, how'd you do Facebook? And he was like, I don't know. People just give me their information. And it's like, you, oh my God. We have like, we have like smart refrigerators and like smart can openers and like, Smart and like, toasters. And smart toasters. I just, I just like, tried to buy a toaster oven. They're like, you want one that connects to Alexa? And I'm like, no. No! <laughs> Sorry, I, wanna, I don't mean to... want to toast bread. <laughs> I don't mean to scream, but like... I don't need a toaster that also <laughs> plays uh, d- 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 fucking like jazz. I just need something that makes bread. I just need something that's not going to make me connect to Facebook or to fucking MySpace or Twitter in order to use it. I am I am terminally allergic to creating social media accounts. Mm-hmm. I got forced to create a Twitter because yep. I cannot make a living without one yep, and same. i'm gonna be i i will not use linkedin mm-hmm. i have finally deleted and deactivated my facebook account i welcome to the club I, god thank god amazing like, club Love it, it here it's it is it's so bullshit and stop giving people your information yeah. stop giving them this power over you it's bad enough that we have to have this information I don't want to be seen. I certainly don't want Facebook being able to see me. I hate the fact that my phone knows where I'm going 24-7, but I can't buy a phone that doesn't have that because I need that technology in order to live in this fucking society because we (laughs) live in a society. Welcome to the horrors of data privacy with Cole and Ellie. Christ. Uh, we're We're having a good time here. If I could break out the wine, I would. Um, it is after five, so you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, this, uh, so if um, if anyone's listened to like flash forward with Rose Eveleth, right? Um, mm-hmm. Rose Eveleth talks a lot about data privacy, um, and of course, we love that show here at RDR because it does this magnificent blend between fiction and nonfiction. Um, and I've learned a lot, and and one of the things that I've learned is this this idea that there is. There is this idea that we have failed, right, at at data privacy, that we have lost the war on data no. privacy. And it's like, no, we haven't. <laughs> no. <Mm-mm. laughs> we struck down that net neutrality ban. 
We're working on the one where we apparently don't own the songs we buy. Thanks, Apple. Like, we, we are working and fighting back. And eventually, we will be able to reclaim the pri- privacy we had I say 20, but that was still early 2000s, 30 years ago, <laughs> um, and and stop giving these major corporations any more sway over us than they already have. They don't deserve mm-hmm. it. Yep, absolutely. Thank you so much for talking with us, Cole. Um, yeah, th- thank you for sitting and listening. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's exactly what this show is for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> If you liked what you heard, you can learn more about Cole's work and how to support or hire him at coleburkhart.card.co. That's card with two R's. Come back next week for our final episode of this half of the season, a special deep dive interview into digital privacy and responsibilities for artists. Radio Drama Revival runs on half-filled oxygen tanks and the doubloons at the bottom of the ocean. If you'd like to help keep us afloat and featuring new, diverse, unique fiction podcasts and their creators, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. And now we bring you our moment of Anne. I am here humbly asking you for your best fantasy novel recommendations, specifically for novels about pirates. Please send them to me on the RDR Twitter. It's at radiodrama. Thank you. That means it's time for the credits. This episode was recorded in the unceded territory of the Kalapuya people, the Klitskani Indian tribe, the Cowlitz Indian tribe, and the Atfalati tribe. Colonizers named this place Beaverton, Oregon. If you are looking for ways to support or donate to Native communities, the Kamloops Aboriginal Friendship Society is seeking donations to build a new center. KAFS offers many services and programs for urban-located Indigenous people, such as healthcare initiatives, outreach programs for children and adults, childcare, and food hamper and nutrition programs. You can support them at charity.gofundme.com slash o slash en slash campaign slash new friendship center spelled c-e-n-t-r-e, which is linked in the episode description. Our theme music is Reunion of the Space Decks by the band Kylo Kos. You can find their music on Free Music Archive. Our audio producer is Will Williams. Our marketing manager and line producer is Ann Baird. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our submissions editor is Rashika Rao. Our associate marketing manager is Jillian Schrager. Our transcriptionist is Katie Yeomans. Our audio consultant is Eli Hamada McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our executive producers are Fred Greenhouch and David Reinstrom. Our mascot is Ticker Tape, the goat. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez Collins. This has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers, welcome.